0: Texas talking y'all. what was that that you said Texas talking I'm gonna hoop your head Texas talking Tell
1: me who can you
2: trust when Texas I'm Dr. Brett Jeroe with the Texas AM and m Health Science Center No, Evan, I cannot get permission for you to take the Heisman trophy home over the holidays, but I can get one of our med students to take a look at that rash of yours and now, here's your host, Reeve Hamilton.
0: Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the Guest for the third week of December. Joining me is CEO and editor-in-chief Evan Smith. Hey, Reeve. Merry Christmas. Executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. It's like the nicest thing I've said to him. All it year. is, yeah. <laughs> 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 reporter that was Jay your present right there. Yeah. Hello there. Yeah. Well, there's should, should have said a happy Hanukkah to you, Evan, I suppose. I don't it's observe. It's a little bit late. It's belated. Don't observe that. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, there wouldn't be anything wrong with it, but I'm I'm with you, people.
1: (laughs) He wanted a December holiday. It was
0: really early. What an odd beginning! I hope we haven't, uh, you know, alienated any listeners. No more than usual. Okay, just the Jews. Well, let's jump in. Obviously, after 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 Christmas Uh, is New Year's, and we will be looking back at uh, the year that was 2013. But Jay, since you're here and you've been following the governor's race, why don't you bring us up to speed on how that's going? Who's ahead?
3: Well, I think Greg Abbott's ahead. Um he uh doesn't have a primary. He he, he really never had he does have a primary. He well, he doesn't have a real primary. He he didn't really have a real primary uh, at any time, but Tom Pawking dropping out of the primary, I think sort of removed a thorn from his side. They they weren't
2: No Hanukkah present for Miriam Martinez for you for saying that this race <laughs> is over, Jay. Well they, they, they
0: didn't d- you write a story about how the the big small fish in the pond was not Tom Pachen but Lisa Fritch?
3: Yes I did. But the the but the Abbott campaign never Worried or talked about anybody in the primary except for Tom Pawkin because he was really actively going around and and talking to Tea Party groups and trying to stir up a sort of conservative rebellion against um, against uh, Greg Abbott and you know it it obviously uh, he went nowhere and so he crashed and burned and then decided. Right around the time we were asking for his tax returns, uh, that he was not going to, uh, and of course it was around the filing deadline. Um, but he <laughs> it was mostly the tax yeah, returns. Yeah, though. But he decided not to give us his tax returns or to run for governor. Um, it, as for Wendy. I Davis, think we should
2: still ask him for his tax returns. <laughs> Why not?
3: <laughs> Just give them well, to actually, us. he did flat up refuse. Um, to
0: be fair, most of the people we asked for their tax refer- tax returns both refused and are not running for governor.
3: <laughs> Although both Wendy Davis, uh Democrat Wendy Davis, Senator from Fort Worth, uh State Senator and um Ann Abbott have given us their tax returns. I think uh Wendy Davis sort of ended the uh, new ended the year sort of underwhelming the chattering class. I mean I think there was just great expectations. the expectations for her were really off the charts. They they were. So it would have been hard to meet them. I think it's fair to say that she kind of didn't meet the, the the very, very high expectations. There was there were some critical reports. Um columnists uh here and there said that she wasn't ready for prime time, that um she wasn't really stirring it up. That she was wasn't, in the valley, right? Correct. Yeah. Sandy Sanchez
0: um mm-hmm. in the I guess she had McCallum an underwhelming monitor. appearance in the valley yeah, that a, someone you know, the monitor didn't care for.
3: Logistically glitchy and um that she hasn't really figured out how to talk about abortion or how to not talk about abortion without having people notice that she's not talking about abortion um, but I do think in the last few weeks of the year they seem to have righted the ship i mean they're 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 pretty aggressive now, and they figured out that it was important to have Wendy's name on some of these attacks instead of just letting. Strategist Matt Angle or Battlegrounds Nexus or some of these other groups be the proxy for her. They realized that putting her name on the on the on the press release on the message actually helped them out a little bit. So I think that that um, it would have been hard for her to meet the expectations. I don't think she did. I think she was also gone a lot and raising money. I'm told there's going to be a quote big number. In January for her, I mean, obviously. But you, but you know,
2: Jay, the yeah, question. So, so the question on the big number is going to be how much of that money is in state, right. and how much of it's out of state? Because well, the while first question is
0: going to be what's the number.
2: Well, it will be, right. but the money be will be questions. useful to her in trying to mitigate Greg Abbott's advantage. No question about that. And she's not going to have as much. The theory is she'll have enough to be in the game, right? But then the next question beyond that is how many of those people who've given are people who live in Texas and can therefore vote, because. You want to look at the fundraising number as a measure of two things. Number one, the resources she has to prosecute this race. But second, does it show that there's ample support out there for any Democrat or for her specifically to win? And if those people are
1: from D.C. or San Francisco or New York. Like Ted Cruz's money was all out of state.
2: And see, you, so your point I, is that yeah, I mean, you, th- you think that the money – well, It's almost always better to
3: take the money, don't you a, think? I'm not standard. suggesting she yeah, not a, take the money, yeah. and I think
2: that your point about Cruz is a good one, but yeah. we both know that the challenge for her, not for him, right? the challenge for her is going to be to translate any support she gets financially outside the state right. into enthusiasm and turnout.
1: And votes. Well, you got to have the resources to run a campaign, and she's got she's got several months before she has to sort of be publicly engaged in a lot of this stuff, and she can spend all of her time right now raising money and and building organization and stuff. But you know, in the same way that Ted Cruz's money came from out of state, Club for Growth, Freedom Works, all of those groups, um, it doesn't matter where the money comes from if you put it to good use. I mean, and also
2: money is not determining is not a, a determinant of success because all of Tony Sanchez's money right. came from Texas. In fact, right. it came from one address in Laredo. Right? all <laughs> the right. uh, so same, and with, same with David matter. Dewar,
0: speaking of right. Cruz.
3: We'll, we'll, we're going to write about the money. We're going to take it very seriously, and, and we'll write about Greg Abbott's money. It we'll, here write first. It. We'll, we'll write about her money. But uh, my um, experience has been that the source of the money, unless it's from – like a felon or somebody that's really truly... Medellin uh, cartel. Yeah, something right. you know, I mean like people gave their Enron money back at one time. Occasionally right. you see people giving money back. I mean money can be an issue um, but typic- I-, I have often found that it's, it's usually better to take the money than to worry about you know, if it's coming out of state or whatever. And, of course, right. the, the Abbott campaign, this has been one of, that's one of their major attack lines is that she's uh, getting all her money from these liberal out-of-state sources and that she's sort of, you know, gone off to San Francisco and New York and all these horrible
2: places. The, that, the best you know, one last week was Battleground Texas had its holiday party in Washington. Could you imagine such a thing? I mean, oh, come on. They came here from Washington. Isn't that where Belmont Texas came from? Look, there's there's a second. Jay's, I think, articulating exactly what the criticism of the campaign has been. But there's a theory that would counter that, that some people are now beginning to propagate. That is, she's in sort of a quiet period. She is becoming a candidate, testing her her – opening the play in New Haven, let's call it that, right? The conventional phrase here. Uh, She's testing out her lines in smaller markets. She's raising money. They're strategizing and that she's got no primary. So there's no imperative for this to be on display today, soon, and that she will come roaring out of the gate having done a lot of organizational work, having done a lot of thinking and ha- and a lot of crafting of message, and that when she is out there, you're going to see something. Now, it re- is, remains to be seen whether that's the case.
1: This is basically the argument. I don't disagree with you. This is basically the argument that she's running George W. Bush's 1994 campaign. Let's take him on the road. Let's teach him how to speak to rotary groups. He was terrible at first, and, and they and they ran around and they right. kept their heads down. They kept their heads down, and then when they popped up. It was a full-blown organization with all the money they needed, and he had learned how to talk to Craig. Or,
2: frankly, it's a George P. Bush campaign.
1: Right. Not George W. Bush campaign.
2: Tell me well, where you just George... run
0: for a, a small office but, but that no one's paying attention to? Or... Where
2: is George P. Bush? <laughs> I mean, honestly, you criticize those who criticize Wendy Davis for being largely absent from any big conversation about issues. George P.
0: Bush is it's... running for land commission. But, no, uh, but here's the point, though. He's,
2: he is – the point I'm saying is right. he has basically been as invisible – to big media and to the public and to a public conversation as as she's been. I grant you there's massive differences between them. I guess the point is it's not unprecedented in this cycle or previously. This is the anti-Burka. This is the up-yours-Burka argument. (laughs) Paul Burka at Texas Monthly has been saying, Wendy Davis has been absent. Where's (laughs) Where's Wendy Wendy, And then there was
3: where's Wendy, too. Right.
2: And this is the response to that in some quarters well the argument of where's wendy is she's off figuring out crafting raising and in time she'll be back out right it's and there
3: and there's really no reason to be all over the place this exactly early right. but but there really isn't but I do think that, you know, there have been a couple of times where, for example, you know, the big one was when she said, I'm pro-life.
0: Right, and then she instantly caved to the conservative pushback on that.
3: that well, they're, they, they're, said, they right, said, But she,
0: uh, why not just lean into that, you know, say, I'm pro-life because I support these things that help kids and, and stuff. Instead, they said, oh, you're not pro-life. And she said, oh, that was out of context. But, of course, it wasn't out of context.
3: Yeah, I mean, there there is that that you know what you're articulating is exactly the type of criticism that you hear around here in the chattering class, and we are, I guess, part of the chattering class. But um, I I do think though that um, Karen Johansson, the campaign manager, was not there until she she did not that they had launched their campaign, and I guess it was maybe I don't know a month later or or, or more maybe that she finally uh, came on board and I think you're starting to see her, you know, get accustomed to being in Texas and and uh, get this campaign going. And, and so I, I do think that uh, there's sort of a lagging indicator issue, which is that in the last couple of weeks of the year, or three weeks, whatever, we've seen a little bit more uh, aggression and um, they seem to be Attempting to take the fight more to Greg Abbott. You know, it kind of started when Abbott released his education plan. It was like, oh, hell no, we're not going to let him dominate the conversation over education. And Has he was, released it, his
0: education plan? He's well, I mean, been preparing he, I'm sorry, his he, education he, 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 plan. It was
3: more. Uh, sorry, like talking about it was it. a he very slow rollout the where they're meeting with educators, and mm-hmm. then they're going to come back in early January.
0: Well, how is Abbott and, doing? Uh, you know, uh, does he have expectations to live up to, or is it just sort of he can just do whatever he, he wants doing, because everyone expects doing, him to float along? I
1: think he's kind of doing a public rose garden campaign. You know, the classic rose garden campaign is stay home. Don't do anything. The David Dewhurst mistake, right? You know, I'm not going to go out to all of these town halls. I'm not going to do all of this stuff. I'm going to stay above the fray. I'm never going to mention my opponents. And, you know, that's that's the classic Rose Garden strategy. But Dewhurst showed the hole in that, and Ted Cruz did by saying he never goes anywhere. He never comes out and talks well, to Abbott you. Well, Abbott has, so been, Greg has been traveling. So Greg, so Greg Abbott's ad- adapted. And I think he's doing sort of the stay above the fray thing, but he's all over the place sort of with these – You know, it's a very anodyne approach. I mean, he comes out with these these education plans, and they're kind of soft and fluffy, and he's in front of the crowd, and he's not really doing anything edgy or anything like that that would cause a campaign conflagration or any kind of a conflict or anything. So you can't say he's not out there, but you can't really say he's out there. Punching anybody in the nose. Well, right? well, but see,
2: but you've just identified, I think, the perfect contrast with the Davis campaign. So the
1: Davis campaign needs
2: to put her out in front of the attacks on Abbott. Abbott's hands are clean in terms of the attacks on Davis. The attacks on Davis are being done by Abbott's henchmen, right, right? paid and unpaid, around the internet and, and elsewhere. They're the ones who are attacking Davis. You're never going to see Abbott, or have not yet seen really Abbott attacking her frontally. But it's the people around him who've been attacking her frontally. Um, Look, I want to come back to what Jay said, I think, to to square these two, and that is this question of abortion and how she's had to walk sort of uh, gingerly on both sides of this issue. The Republicans would be elated if this campaign between now and November was Greg Abbott versus the abortionist. They're going to do everything they can to have this race as a frame be Greg Abbott versus the abortionist. In fairness to Wendy Davis, but for the filibuster, she was not particularly associated with that issue. But that's her brand because the celebrity – She was
0: also not particularly associated with the governor's race.
2: Well, yeah, but you're missing the point, I think, that her celebrity – necessarily is tied to the filibuster. Therefore, her candidacy is necessarily tied to the filibuster. Therefore, her candidacy is necessarily tied to the issue at the center of the filibuster. But if you cut off June 25th or 6th, whatever it was, and you go back previous... Then she's an unknown advocate (laughs) for education. But what she was not, though, was the loudest voice on that issue. She actually filibustered on education previously. There were other issues she was associated with. I guess my point here is she has to own the brand, right? If you
0: just ignore her history with the abortion issue, then she's not associated with it at all.
2: My point is that she has to transcend that moment that was the rocket booster for her celebrity. It's a tough act. She has to it's be a, a tough act to manage. She, she has it, to be it, about
0: more than one thing. She has
2: to be about more than one thing. And right. it, it behooves her, as you made, made the point on the education issue, to pick one thing. That is an issue that she was associated with on a previous filibuster.
0: That was she, her main issue. That
2: yeah. was a big issue. And that's an issue that has bipartisan credibility. If you look at the way that money went back into public education, the, the testing issue that got resolved in this last session, more parent choice, stopping short of vouchers, those were issues that got resolved with relatively little controversy compared to others because there was bipartisan support for those. She's trying to tap into that bipartisan support. And if she can somehow embrace education as the principal aspect
1: of her candidacy, that inures to her benefit. I don't think she can change the subject. I think, I think it's, it's well, hard, no, though. Well, I agree no, with but you. I, but I don't know that she should. I mean, you know, if you're known for this and the energy behind your campaign – was about this issue. Why would you abandon that energy? This is this is the horse that got you here. That, just figure out how to talk about it.
3: That, that's right. I mean, th- what you the last thing you said is very. Just figure out how to talk about it because when they launched the campaign, the the day that they that on October third when she announced, never was the filibuster or abortion mentioned right. at all. Right. So there was like a really. I think that the, they, they swung a little too far in the other direction of, like, we're never going to talk about this again. There was that feeling, and, you know, wh- whether that was really happening or not, it's certainly the, that notion sort of set in. And what I, I think that you, you've seen them try to do, and, and we'll see if they're successful at it, is to tap into this idea that she's a fighter. She's taking on this establishment, which means all kinds of things. The cronyism, they, they can sort of put everything yep. through that funnel. But again, you know, it's like you're going to say, oh, you're for late term, you're abortion. But there's
2: a way to look there's a way to talk about this to do exactly what Jay Reeve what exactly what Jay and, and Ross are talking about. There is a way for her, I think, to spin this potentially. And that is to make this less about abortion. And more about the idea of the establishment and men particularly in the establishment messing with women. She needs to get every Democratic vote she possibly can. She needs to get the majority of independent votes. And she needs to get some Republican women to cross over, either publicly say that they're for her or to get into the voting booth when the curtain is closed and say, you know what? I'm tired of men largely in Austin telling me what I can and cannot do with my body this is the to, – to, to get get your hands off me is the nice way to say it. The get your hands off me vote in some quarters that may not have been Democratic quarters particularly. Th- that really – the whole point of having Davis and Van Depute as the first one-two punch that are women at the top of the ticket for the Democrats, historically this is a, fir- a first. And with Van Depute's line that night – which I think becomes the thematic basis prospectively for the campaign.
0: Well, Vandeputte very good at it. she's figured out how to talk mm-hmm. about but this see, stuff, but I
2: think but... that's what which you know, what does a woman have to do to have her voice heard above the men in this chamber? The word abortion is nowhere in that deal it's appealing to the idea that somehow women are getting a raw deal and it, and you tie back into governor's well, veto wi- and equal the women pay act. yeah the women's health the women's health, women's uh, health stuff is larger now experience. now the abbott campaign is going to try to make it only about abortion but the davis campaign prospectively can address this issue not run from it run toward it but broaden it to be more about women being messed with well we've talked about That's this before it's
1: a, it's a framing issue so it's a framing you, issue. so when you get into when you get into the race between abbott and Davis, and I and I really think that it's going to be a little while before we're fully into that race, and, yeah. and probably ought to be. Voters aren't going to be paying attention. When you
0: say a little while, there's it's, not that much time mm, left. Well, really. I think it's well, going well, oh, yeah, to primary primary yeah. be post-primary. Oh, yeah, post-primary.
1: There's a year uh, left. And then you hit the summer. The summer right, is not. kind of, a,
2: everyone's in Colorado and New Mexico. Oh, right. You know? no, I,
3: I think you're going to ha- it's really going to be like late summer that it's going to, I mean, I think it's going to be aggressive a lot quicker in the new year, okay? But I'm, it's not going to get just blanketed until... September. The other part of this is she needs
2: to uh, define late August, whatever. She needs know. to define her biography
1: before they define her well, biography. Well it's not biography here. This is an issue thing. This is the, the they've got to define the issue is is this about women's health clinics and women's issues, or is this about abortion? And that's really the framing fight. And if we're in September or October of next year and we're and it's all about abortion, then the Republicans won the framing fight. And if it's about the other thing, then the Democrats won the framing yeah, fight.
2: Yeah, but Jay's point about her being I agree with you. Right. Jay's point about her being a fighter, though. The up from the bootstraps, look at the adversity that I transcended. I think, I think their resumes wash. You don't well, th- I don't disagree with you. No, they both have adversity. Yeah. No, I mean, pe- they both pe- got – but, but she needs he did to define f- – A tree fell on him. But she needs to define the, – the, the, but, the, but I, 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 of course that's going to be a much more visible sign of adversity. You don't think she's
0: defined her biography when her profiles in Texas Monthly and Vogue and everywhere else?
2: How many people are reading Vogue in Texas? Todd? I think, she, <laughs> I think she needs to, to own – how many years have we watched politics and said that the problem with a lot of campaigns that are attempting to be insurgent is that the other campaign, in squashing the insurgent campaign, defines that candidate before the candidate defines well, that's himself first. Right, Perry and Kay right? right. She can't allow Abbott to do to her what Perry did to Hutchison and it's the same guy running the campaign for the same guy running equal. He's about half the
1: size now. Well though. Carney Carney will run. I mean Carney Carney is really good at running in the same way that Rove did, running at, not at the at the weakness of Political the opponent consultant. but at, at the strength of the opponent and undermine their strength and then the weaknesses become apparent. And you know the reason I think the resume is washed I mean they both have these, you know, great Narrative stories about how they overcame adversity and got to where they are. They both are accomplished lawyers, yada, yada, yada. And I think that basically, okay, you got one, you got one, you got one. Okay, so let's go to differences. Let's don't go to similarities. Um, And the differences are going to be in these issues. I think this is one of those weird campaigns where the difference between the candidates is actually about ideology and policy. Rather than about you know um, style but, but per, personal qualities, like the Republican primaries for
2: these high ticket offices, lieutenant right. governor and so well, we but but personal. the windy
3: the windy biography and the sort of the windy story has ta- ever since the filibuster, obviously, which is what made it, took on a life of itself, and so people had these expectations of wendy and one, one of the things that i 've come across is that people go, wait gosh, she I, I was expecting more sort of a forceful presence and she you know she's sort of a small person physically and she kind of she does her voice doesn't project she really needs to have a microphone um but i've seen moments like for example the national press club i thought she was really really good there um when when she is leaning into the sort of fighter psychology um and is really criticizing the other side and saying for years we put up this and, and sort of from that that the the female perspective i think it's more powerful i i, th- I thought you know, I had people come to me after her appearance at the Texas Tribune Fest, and they were like, "We, you know, she just didn't seem to be very aggressive because she's known for having confronted the establishment and actually stopped a bill, stopped a socially conservative they, they bill." They want Erin Brockovich, yeah. Or they Norma they Marek, want a right? fighter. They, they want so, they, if, want, if, Ann if she, she they want Ann Richards. If she doesn't, if she doesn't give them that fighter and and doesn't come across that, she she's not even going to come. across. She does. She's
0: not She'd a. She doesn't her. make jokes the way an Ann Richards or Molly Ivins are these great, but, you know, liberal dem- Texas Democratic women have yeah. done in the past. But, but
3: I did, like, you know, go back to the National Press Club appearance and some other appearances that I've seen. She knows how to do this, and and it's basically when it's her standing against the the establishment. The point that, here is the, that of all the things that she said in the months topics.
2: she's been on the campaign trail now, nothing has been memorable, or as memorable as "Mama Ain't Happy," Vandipute in her in, one on the very first day of yeah, her candidacy, right. said something and articulated it in a way that was more memorable than anything Davis has said so far, which could be a problem for Davis unless uh, they're joined I at. I
1: think Vanderpuyt's going to be the edge of the knife here. I think that Vanipute's going to be she's the one who can crystallize this stuff and get it all down to a thing. And she walks into a room. I mean, given you know, I mean, granted, the announcement speech that she made was on home turf, San Antonio, gym, and everything. Well, but good, she's though. but she's but she's got some charisma and she can connect she really with the does. crowd and she can she has twice now crystallized the idea. So she did it on the Senate floor that night. She did it in this thing. You know, she's the one who can say, okay, look at all of this stuff. Here's your Senate.
0: So we think it'll be a real race then? Which The Governor's race.
1: It'll be a real race. I mean you've got to handicap it for the Republicans. There's a there's a built in organizational and um, Sort of historical bias built into Texas that the Democrats have to overcome. They've got to they've got to light up counties where people don't vote. El Paso County is the same size as Collin County and votes about you know a third as many people. They've got to, they've got to solve problems like that that are mechanical political problems.
0: Well, we need to redefine this podcast as not just about the Greg and Wendy race and move on to uh, higher ed and give a little UT update since we talked about that last week and there's been a lot of changes.
1: Is there still a UT since
0: then? Well, for now. You know, we'll see how the end of the year goes. But obviously, so there was a hearing at which Bill Powers, the president of UT Austin, who many people have speculated might lose his job at the hands of the current Board of Regents. His job was up for a vote, and uh, they opted to not vote on it. But the chancellor of the UT system, Francisco Sigaroa, gave a little – He he made a recommendation that Powers stick around, but he also said – but this guy's been really hard to work with. Our relationship is no good, and if he's going to stick around for a while, then he really needs to work on improving that. And I was wondering, as someone who was not at the meeting, how that came across, Evan.
2: My, my reaction was, "Damn!" You know, I, 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 thought, "All right, so a guy keeps his job," but I think it's exaggeration to say that uh, uh, Chancellor Cigaro ran the car over powers and then just to be sure he got him he put it in the reverse and backed over him a second time
1: but i thought it was a public rebuke if you were bill powers there's no way you're happy about that i mean they you know they say you can keep your job and here's all the things you're doing wrong you get a d on your report card you can stay in school so yeah I, I,
3: somebody who doesn't follow this near as closely probably as anybody in this room i was the only
1: I,
2: person who went to ut here
3: well i, I didn't know that they had such a bad relationship that 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 was honestly nude i mean i i what i was thinking was that the, the regents are you know sort of doing rick perry's bidding a little bit and they're all leaning on powers i mean it's just sort of the 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 30, foot view here and um and the was a little bit trapped between them and you know i could see how it would be politically delicate for him that he's got a play both sides of a little bit, but I thought he was leaning a little more to powers than he was toward the regents. Well, the, the suggestion has been
2: made, Reeve, that, that he was reading a statement that you could just see the, the captors off... Screen from the the newspaper, right. Right, yeah. yeah. That somehow Cigaro was reading words he didn't believe. Sure didn't seem like that to
0: No, it? no. Oh, well, it's, he was reading a statement, but that's because that's all they ever do in board meetings is it read it didn't statements. didn't seem
2: like he was reading somebody <laughs> no, else's I think, words. I, I think
0: Cigaro was being very honest, and I think the UT people should be very happy about it. I mean, I think everyone... Uh, the if UT if people meaning the pro-powers pa- The pro-powers the powers, the pro people should be a, very happy. This a good
3: happy. resolution to yeah, it. Yeah, totally. Is it? So is it, all, is it over?
0: Well, I mean, backing up a little bit, I think if you're... I think Siguroa, from his perspective uh, and Powers' reputation in general, is that he can be tough for the chancellor to work with. You know, he sort of wants to run the university his his own way and he's a smart guy and a strong-willed guy. Uh, And Siguroa said, you know, our relationship is strained and they've had a strained relationship or they've had not much of a relationship in recent months at least. Because Siguroa says – because he is stuck between Powers and the regents – and in that role, he has frequently sort of tried to craft deals to keep the ball moving forward. And he said, every time I do that, Power like we'll come to some sort of agreement, and then I will act on that agreement, and then Powers will go and publicly complain about it, showing like demonstrating misalignment. And he's just fed up with it. So I think he was reading a very honest statement. You've seen this um, when um, the Regents were going to freeze, or they did freeze UT's tuition, right. and so Cigaro negotiated a deal where. Uh, the board would give UT the money that they would have made from from a tuition raise. And then Powers came in behind him and said, you know, I'm disappointed in this, blah, blah, blah. Of course, Powers should be free to express disappointment. But the thing is, Siguro is frustrated with him repeatedly uh, conveying that there's misalignment when he thinks that they've worked out some sort of deal. You saw this when F- F- Siguro came out with his framework for advancing the system, which he was very proud of a couple weeks after that or if that even powers came out and gave his house divided speech where he said that we're mm-hmm. house divided. So every time it seems like okay, we've worked out some things so that we can keep moving forward, you know, the UT people in many cases have actually kept the rift open. And I think that can be frustrating if you're Sigro, so I think he was just giving an honest statement and it, and it's perfectly valid feedback and at the end of the day Bill Powers is going to wake up the next morning and be president for the foreseeable future. When we were all in the room waiting for their decision, the question was: Okay, is he? I mean, the big question was: Was was he going to get to stick around with a uh, end date or not? You know, there was a talk of: Okay, we'll give him a vote of confidence, but he has to be out by next October. So this way, there's no end date. He Do you gets take to be that president. as a vote of confidence. No. But you know who else didn't get a vote of confidence? Every other president in the state. That yeah, day.
2: but every other president wasn't at risk of losing his job. In the run-up to this thing, what we had heard was, oh, never mind the fact that he was told not to go to New York with Patterson and Mac, and was told he had to stay here for this regents meeting at which they were going to do a proctological examination of his tenure as president. Uh, it's all going to be fine because a couple of the pro-powers regents have orchestrated a vote of confidence so that we're going to put this issue off the table. It was not that.
0: It read to me – No, but I it mean, was to- – well, it is off the table now. Now if you are an anti-powers regent and you say, let's get rid of him, the, everyone else can say, we gave you a shot to get rid of him. He was on the agenda and now you thing. don't – you the, couldn't get your votes together. Were the
2: votes not there?
0: Uh, it certainly seems that the way. The
2: conventional wisdom has been that the votes
0: are there. To get and together. the – and the well, I mean the conventional wisdom on that changes every day. But the message that Sigaro basically gave and the other regents gave uh, was – even the ones that don't like him, they recognize that they're in a position where they cannot fire him because he has too much support among the students, faculty, and staff. That's basically yeah. what Sigaro said.
1: And alumni. You don't yeah. think Sigaroa laid the predicate for Powers' eventual demise?
3: No, I just of the way it just read to at me at that yeah. you know
1: it's like you know You're on a tight leash now,
3: friend. It's the, yeah,
0: exactly. No, Here's so the, powers, the, your powers has to be a good citizen, is what he said. He has to uh you know cooperate with what the system initiatives are.
1: I just think there's a difference between reading him out publicly and reading him out privately. And I thought he read him out publicly and he basically said, you know, and
0: we don't know what the back room conditions were. Hasn't he we're been right. read out privately? Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah.
2: So it's, I think we've met, we've now gone to the next place.
0: But also, you know, it was a vote of tepid, conf- a vote no, it of tepid there was, confidence. There was no vote, but it right. was also he gets to be president for the foreseeable future. Right. If he doesn't keep making house divided speeches, then uh, maybe he'll get to be president for quite a while. But you know, the thing is, sometimes you do have to make those speeches if you want to be honest and sort of promote the make sure you're having a quality university. Ironically, so it's a tough ironic. situation for yeah. powers, but I don't think that the powers people should look at this as. You know, I mean, I, I think to expect a vote of confidence from this board for Bill Powers would have been like absurd. Well, we only to-
2: expected it because that was the that was the story on the street in the run up, and we were just foolish to believe. It. But I think, no, I but think-
3: now he has to look at everything he says. Now is like because he's he's sort of on thin ice, and if Sigaroa doesn't like what he does, it's, it's all over but the shower. Yeah, but
0: that's, that's no minute. different from how it actually was before. I mean, you know. Hmm. I just just
3: just didn't know that the feelings were so raw. I I mean, when I was like, wow. So we're
0: moving forward, and now the question of whether or not he's going to stick around has basically been answered. Yes, he's going to stick around. Other than that, nothing has changed, and that's good for the powers people. And basically there was an admission that the power supporters have won the day.
2: Other than than the stuff we're talking about, it was relatively not dramatic, right? I mean, we sort of expected going in that powers would come out the other end as president, and we came out the other end as president.
0: Right. And really all the drama is actually going on at the other system, and which we should talk about for a second. That's
2: what I was is like who, was say, it's like who, who would have expected at the beginning of the week that the real drama related to the president of a major public university would be in College Station? That's kind of the great – the way this stuff works. It's mm-hmm. always surprising.
0: We really have no time to talk about this, but Ross, can you talk about it for a second? What, yeah. So what Perry had, had a candidate.
1: Station. John Sharp, the chancellor, had a candidate. They were in um, sort of um, – I guess this only took four days – First, uh, I think it's not well, over. Well, I think it's not over, too. But but so for four or five days, they basically lobbied the um, regents. Vote for Perry's candidate. Vote for Sharp's candidate. This is for interim president. This is for interim president of Texas A&M. Mark Hussey, who's one of the super deans at, at A&M, got the job. He's the one with the academic credentials. Guy Diedrich. Not who, one of the
0: mediocre deans.
1: Right, uh, Guy Diedrich wanted um, – was up for the job. He's a vice chancellor there. He has a PhD, but he's not an academic in the sense that he's been teaching and writing and all of that kind of stuff. He's, he's been former, a lobbyist. He's basically a lobbyist system. for the school. You can get a PhD in lobbying. So <laughs> apparently, so. So awesome. Um, I think what they set up was Perry got a vote count here and got to look at where everybody stood, and now we've got a permanent president race. And I think that this, you know, so you don't regard this as sharp one Perry zero. No, I regard this as round one sharp
0: <laughs> well the so the and the issue was that one guy was a dean and the other guy was like you said not academically qualified right. I, you know i think Guy Diedrich is actually a very common guy. He probably would make a fine interim president. But the thing is that Sharp was able to get a candidate with the qualifications for the job, and Perry wasn't. I really And think this guy's not going to be
2: the a candidate. Hussey is not going to be the candidate. Hussey doesn't want the, the permanent, permanent job. So does Guy Diedrich come back around?
0: Guy Diedrich was on the list. Uh, stay tuned to see what happens to Guy Diedrich. There's some talk of putting him in a, in a sort of advisory position to the board.
2: So he's going to be the new Jay Kimbrough? Possibly, trying. or
0: he's, or you know, he also has a job. Here's the, a here's your, he's your he's the vice chancellor for <laughs> strategic initiative. But
2: Guy Diedrich will not be a candidate for the for, for the permanent presidency of the university. Well,
0: it'd be hard to see how he gets it after the sort of pushback this time around. But you know, you never know. Perry really wants him to have some power over there. Obviously, right. Uh,
2: Next president of of, uh, of Texas A and M. You ready, Mac Brown.
1: <laughs> Why not? Well, Evan Smith, ladies and gentlemen, he needs a job. <laughs> oh, are you kidding? I don't Mac, think he does. Need Mac a job, Brown got a pretty sweet, he's deal. Got a sweet deal.
0: Much better deal than Bev Kearney got when she left.
2: Perfect place to end the podcast. Yeah.
0: Really. <laughs> no, he gets Mac Brown gets to be the uh, what? He gets to be advisor to the president for like half a million bucks a year until twenty twenty. Who who's, who's going to be he, he
3: gets our top to write a salary guy so on the on the Texas Tribune salary well, list? Well, after
2: now. Mac Brown it's Rick Barnes, but I'm not sure that Rick Barnes is not <laughs> TikTok TikTok. <tick-tock>. Exactly. <laughs>
1: if I know, if if I were Rick Barnes, I would have not I would not have laid odds that Rick Barnes would outlast Mac Brown. I just wouldn't well, have.
0: Well, if you wouldn't have, then let's just end the podcast. Let's just move on. Uh, on behalf of Evan Ross and Jay and Todd, I would like to invite you to send any questions or comments to TripcastsXReview and I'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music.
2: We're going to be back next week, or is this it?
0: This is it for the year. It is. Yeah. So say your piece. Happy Hanukkah, Reeve. Thank you. Talk talk. She said, "This is her whole thing." She said, "Won't vet."
2: I said, what do you mean? She said, won't vet. She just kept saying it, won't vet.